0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. I'm talking about that feeling of deep anxiety or dread known as angst with Dr. Jennifer Rapke. She's a clinical prof- assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Upstate. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Rapke.
1: Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, I think most of us are used to hearing the term angst um, with regard to adolescents or teens. Can you describe your definition of angst?
1: Sure. I mean, I think just popularly, I would think of that as well, that it is much more a teenage type term, you know, of this wrestling and this challenge that um, adolescents are normally going through, you know, that almost all of us go through is through that period of time in our lives. Um, so that would be the same thing I would think of as well. Um, you know, and I think the question we're talking about today and that we saw in the the screening that we did last week was when does that become not normal teenage development and something that we're concerned about. So
0: So the screening, what do you what do you mean about the screening?
1: So upstate Golisano Children's Hospital hosted a screening last week of a movie called angst um, that is a documentary that was created by um, Celia Anderson and it's actually teenagers talking themselves about what angst is and what that feels like for them and how they knew when it became something that they needed help with and was beyond their normal experience. Uh, It was a really great documentary that's available and out there and Upstate hosted the screening. And then we also did a panel talking about what people's questions were, what people were wrestling with and struggling with and what, you know, next steps they could take. So.
0: So is is angst normal?
1: Some level of angst is normal, Um, I believe actually all mental health concerns, we all have some level of on a continuum. All of us are a little depressed at some point. All of us are a little anxious at some point. Um, you know, all of us separate ourselves from society at some point. It's when it gets to this level where you can no longer function in the way that you normally can function and you no longer can have relationships in the way that you can norm- you know, normally have relationships. You can't go to school, you can't go to work when it becomes no longer typical and we need to address it in some way.
0: So what would you say, how would you describe sort of the signs and symptoms of angst? Is it is it just sort of a, a feeling of anxiety or dread?
1: Sure. So most people, the best example they can think of is public speaking. It's very normal when we go into a situation, when we go into a, a- on-air conversation that we feel a little bit of jitters, we feel a little bit of nervousness standing up in front of people, having everyone watch you. You might be sweating a little bit. You might be um, shaking a little bit. It's when that becomes so debilitating that then you can't stand up in front of the people or you can't even go to school that day because you're so nervous and worried and upset and distressed that then it becomes more than just that typical experience of feeling the jitters or feeling nervous about something new or different.
0: So there's a lot of people that don't have any problem doing public speaking. So is it normal to not have angst if you're a teenager, you know, coming of age?
1: Sure. I think it is, you know, and what I would say is um, some people experience it differently. So one of the things we talked about last week and, you know, I figured we would talk about today is in teenagers, anxiety or angst can look different for everybody. So some people might have that normal sort of typically expected experience that I just mentioned of nervousness, jittery, sweaty, you know, um, worried. That's sort of the, the textbook definition, the typical thing we think of when we talk about angst or anxiety. But a lot of people experience their anxiety differently they experience it in what looks more like depression they retreat from people they they stop their relationships they look down they look sad um some people express angst or anxiety with anger um with lashing out at others with pushing people away in an aggressive way because they can't deal with that feeling that they have inside so angst can look a little bit different for everybody and i think there's a level of normal appropriate angst and then there's a level where it becomes beyond that and requires some kind of help or intervention.
0: Now we've used the term anxiety as well. Is anxiety the same thing as angst?
1: Um, Some people I think would say it's the same, you know, angst is more of a, I don't want to say that like a popular cultural term um, where anxiety is the term that typically professionally we use to describe what I think most people mean by angst. Um, I think angst also feels a little existential, you know, or, or that you're wrestling with something emotionally that you're wrestling with your identity or, or your conceptualization of things, um, where anxiety is more of a clinical type term that indicates a specific set of symptoms that we're looking at. Okay. So, and then there's specific beyond, um, similarly with depression, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, I have anxiety. Oh, I have depression. Then there's actual diagnoses, where it reaches a level of giving a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder or a specific phobia or something like that. So there's all different levels. I think of it along a continuum, you know, where there's a little bit, there's enough to call it something, and then there's enough where it meets a diagnosis, which is very high level.
0: Do you think if one struggles with angst in the teen years, does that predict anxiety problems as an adult?
1: That's a really hard question because there's a lot of variables and a lot of things that factor in there. Um, Like I said, I think some level of angst or anxiety in teen years is normal and appropriate, but when it reaches a higher level, then yes, if someone is already having significant Impact on their life as a teenager, sometimes that can indicate that that's going to be something they struggle with for a long time. Um, Other people sort of have that normative angst or anxiety. It gets a little out of control because maybe a lot of crazy things or intense life experiences happened at once. You know, um, for kids, some of the kids we've been seeing right now, you know, there's the normal developmental process they're going through, and then there's COVID, and then there's a lot of societal things happening. And when you lump all that together at once, that can sort of amp things up. We, we wouldn't necessarily expect that they might have problems later in life. It could just be that what I call the perfect storm is happening to them right now. And as those things start to calm down, they may not continue to struggle with that long term. So it's a very complicated answer <laughs> to that question.
0: This is Upstate's Health Link on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Jennifer Rapke. She's a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Upstate, and we are discussing angst. And you mentioned um, the pandemic and sort of the civil unrest. I guess um, is this. Adding to people's level of anxiety or angst, not just teens, but just everybody.
1: Absolutely, it's it's a question I've been asked a lot lately. Um, For some of the kids that we see, it's been a little bit relieving because they've been out of school and they've been out of some intense stressors, you know, that they normally would have to deal with. But the longer this has been going on, it has definitely become you know, a factor. And for some kids, the social isolation in particular has been extremely disruptive and extremely triggering. Um, Teenagers are meant to be very, very social creatures. You know, anyone who has been through adolescence or has an adolescent in their life knows that they rely on their peers typically more than they rely on the adults in their life. Um, And without that, immediate support or having it be distant, you know, through virtual means is incredibly disruptive and incredibly challenging for them. So we are definitely seeing the isolation and the the pandemic and the social unrest, as you described it, you know, have a, an effect on them.
0: I'd like to ask you about quarantine fatigue among teens and young adults in particular, um, where they're tired of isolating and social distancing and they're just over this. What advice do you have?
1: Sure, that's a really tough one. I've certainly seen it in my own community that teenagers seem to be out and about more and not quite following things as much. I think quarantine fatigue is something that we as adults are feeling um, and certainly that trickles down to our kids and our adolescents. One of the biggest things I would say is that we have to role model for them that although it's hard and although we're sick of it and although we're feeling over it that if we aren't going to do it they certainly are not going to do it either. They're looking at us and following our lead. The other thing is making sure we're giving them access to what it is they're looking for by being fatigued. So is it the social isolation that's the biggest piece that they're missing? And what are other ways that you can offer that to them or give them access to it to still do it safely? So are they just ignoring quarantine rules because they so badly need to have social contact um, and they're feeling down or anxious or something as a result of not having it. So can we address those needs with them, you know, partner together and offer them that same need in a safe and healthy way?
0: So what would be helpful for someone who's struggling with this?
1: Well, there's probably some things that are broad to everyone. And then for each individual person, it's thinking about for them what the need is, and what is the factor that's most influencing them at this time, which could change over time. Um, For some people, the lack of routine is the major thing that's throwing them off and disrupting their functioning. So getting some sense of a routine back is really, really important, whether that's just kind of giving themselves their own schedule or getting themselves involved in a new activity that they can do safely and in a healthy way. Um, For some people, having that social connection is the most important piece and is the piece that's triggering them the most. So we look at what are safe and healthy ways that you can have social interaction that comply with in our community's guidelines um, you know what activities can you go to safely are there family members that are lower risk that you can start to have some contact with um, you know looking at those options Um, For other people, there's other unique things going on. Just, you know, their family is now financially in a lot of struggle, you know, or the living situation has changed or, you know, those are other things that as a family have to be looked at and figured out um, and talked about of how is this affecting everybody and how can we get through it together?
0: Are there things that parents can do if they have teens that are sort of, they're they're watching struggle with this are there things parents can do or are there things that parents are doing they should not be doing um that could end up you know helping the person through this time
1: sure i think the hardest part of being a parent of an adolescent and i'm thinking ahead years of myself of what i'm going to struggle with the most is When they push you away, it's very hard to stay in it. You know, it's like being in a boxing match, you know, and the person just keeps knocking you back into the corner, knocking you back into the corner, and you have to know that you're doing the right thing by continuing to come out of the corner and continuing to be a part of their life. Um, Because adolescents are often very dismissive of parents and can be extremely not nice at times to parents. Um, And that's really hard to keep coming back when someone is being that hard on you. Um, I think the most important thing that we hear as adolescence starts to close and they move into that early adulthood is, even though I was really, really nasty and hateful to my parents, I knew that they were there for me. They kept... They kept in it. They supported me. They kept making sure I was okay. They made me do things I didn't want to do like chores and, you know, doing family night and having dinner night. And at the time I hated it, but I'm so glad now looking back that I did it. So I think keeping those routines that are important as a family, whether they act like they want to or not, you know, end up being a good thing in the end. Um, I think as a parent, you know, it's funny because as a professional, we're so focused on criteria and meeting diagnoses and things like that. There is a bit of intuition to those relationships. When you as a parent feel that gut feeling that something is not right, something doesn't feel right, my child feels different, my family feels different, something's up, trust that instinct and really seek them out and say, look, are you sure you're doing okay? Like, don't just give me the straight answer, you know, like, yep, I'm fine. You know, like, really, are you okay? You know, is something going on and you don't have to talk to me about it, but can I take you to Aunt Sally's house and you'll talk to her? Or can I get you to call this hotline and you can talk to them? You know, I think the hard part is relinquishing who it is that the the adolescent talks to, but making sure you connect them with someone. It might not be you, but it might be someone that you trust or a professional. Um, So I think those check-ins are really important when you feel something is off. That's a, a good first step.
0: So that's sort of a parent's sixth sense, you're saying, yeah. just sort of knowing that something's not right. Are there uh, concrete signs and symptoms that really a therapist is needed?
1: Sure. So we really look for a change in functioning is one of the big things. So were they previously getting up, going out with friends, watching TV, you know, um, eating meals regularly, and now the last two weeks they don't care about eating anymore. I have to force them to have dinner. They're not even watching TV anymore. You know, they're hiding out in their room much more than they used to. Any change in their behavior over not just one or two days, but over several days at a time, you're starting to notice a pattern of things that are different. The other thing we're looking for is, is specific symptoms. You know, have they been aggressive when people try to ask them or help them? Have they been very nervous and jittery and worried. Um, Has their sleep pattern changed? You know, did they go from sleeping normally at night to now all of a sudden they're sleeping throughout the day and they're up all night long? Um, Again, eating behavior, that's a big one. That's usually an indicator too. So. Um, Any awareness of substances, which I know is sometimes hard for parents to have knowledge of, but that can be an indicator because a lot of kids we will hear say that they started using to try to dull some of those feelings of angst or anxiety or depression. Um, So they'll start smoking pot or they'll start drinking alcohol or things like that because it does help them feel a little better is another big adolescent thing that can be a sign that something's not right. Which is hard because it's not unusual for adolescents to start experimenting with, you know, trying drinking or trying substances. But that can also be a sign that they're trying to make themselves feel better in a way.
0: Do you see adolescents who actively come forward and say, I'd like to, you know, get some therapy? Or is that just a taboo thing with with teens?
1: Yes. So the research actually shows, and most kids will report that they felt they tried to communicate to an adult in their life that something was wrong. And the person either dismissed it and said, no, you're fine. Stop worrying about it. Everything's going to be fine. That kind of a thing. Or, and even the documentary talked about that too, that kids felt like they tried to communicate to someone in their life. It may not necessarily be a parent, um, but sometimes a parent, sometimes a family member or a friend, and that person kind of dismissed it or said, well, let's just, let's just go out to eat or let's just go for a walk. And I'm sure you'll feel better after we do that. So the person was well-meaning and trying to do something to help, but didn't totally hear or ask questions to understand the experience better. So I would definitely encourage people to be more sensitive that if a teenager actually seeks you out and says, mom, dad, grandma, I don't really feel right, or I don't feel like myself, or I'm feeling really down to not just sort of say, well, it's just a tough day, you know, let's move on to the next thing to say, well, tell me more about it. Tell me about what it is that you're feeling or what's going on. And then you can hear how hopefully they'll be willing to explain to you how much more serious or how much more there is to it.
0: Wow. Thank you to Dr. Jennifer Rapke for opening our eyes to angst. She's a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's talk show and podcast, HealthLink Air.